Good morning. This is Pastor Jerry DeHart at Chesterland Baptist Church, wanting, wanting to welcome you warmly to uh, this virtual service. I'm glad that you are here with a cup of coffee with your friends and family at home. And I'm in Indiana still, and we're safe, and we've had a good week. I know that God has uh, uh, some good news. Uh, Carol Bergman called me uh, last week to pray about she's going to be tested for the coronavirus, and the good news is that she tested negatively for that. So thank God for for that. But whatever you're going through this week, uh, I'm sure that uh, God is using it to help you grow uh, closer to Him. I hope you're using your time well and and uh, not going crazy with being having cabin fever. But uh, as we begin, I want to share the song with you. Uh, I can't sing it uh, without, uh, don't have a music. So I wanted to share this the song. Uh, we have a story to tell to the nations that shall turn their hearts to the right. It's a story of truth and mercy. It's a story of peace and light. It's a story of peace and light. For the darkness shall turn to dawning, and the dawning to noonday bright, and Christ's great kingdom shall come on earth, the kingdom of love and light. As we, uh, as we gather together and we think about the Lord uh, and that story we're telling to the nations, it started a long time ago in the book of Genesis. You know the story when God pulled Abraham aside and gave him all the wonderful promises. In Genesis fifteen six. It says that after Abraham had heard all of those things, it says he believed in the Lord, and then God reckoned that belief as righteousness to Abraham. So from the beginning of the Bible to where we are and, and further down the line, as we come to uh, uh, heaven to see Christ, God is at work building our faith. In Habakkuk 2.4, the prophet said, But behold, as far as the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous man will live by his faith. And likewise, in John 6, 29, when Jesus was with the multitudes, and, and he, Jesus answered and he said to them, this is, the work that, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, well, what do you do for a sign so that we may see? And believe you, and what work do you perform? And of course, Jesus was the work. Jesus was the sign. And so, in Hebrews eleven one, um, the writer of Hebrews says, "Now faith is the, is the assurance of things hoped for, is the conviction of things not seen." And by faith we understand things, as he talks about in Hebrews one. But what we understand most is in Hebrews eleven six. it says that without faith it is impossible to please him because he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And that's what we're going to look at today in the passage in Acts 13. And here's the, here's the theme that we're going to be looking at the next couple of weeks is one, God wants you to increase in your faith. He wants to deepen what you understand of who he is and what he has done. And that faith would increase and make you strong so that your faith would sanctify you, that your faith would strengthen you, and that the faith would make you have a hope that would give you the joy in Christ, to whom all honor and glory belong. Well, as we get into the, the passage today, 
let me just begin with a word of prayer and ask God to do that very thing. Ask him to help increase our faith. And so let's pray. Father, you said that your word, um, your word won't return to you void. And you said that the entrance of your word brings light. And so, Father, we look to your word, that your word would increase our faith and draw us uh, to trust you more and more. Father, may your spirit use this sermon to help us think about what you're doing in our lives. For your glory and our growth, we pray. Amen. I have entitled this sermon, uh, Doubts in the Boat, Fears in the Heart. And particularly, we're going to look at John Mark as he's traveling in a boat from Paphos up to Perga. And so there are really three parts to this message, and you're only going to get one part today. And the first part is that there are some personal concerns that John Mark had to deal with as he's dealing with some fears and some doubt that would make him go back and what he would say. The themes are that, that there were personal concerns of John Mark because in that boat crossing over from Paphos to Perga, doubts and fears would arise in his heart. We're going to look at some of those. But the second part we'll look at in this passage in Acts 13, going to the Gentiles. What does it mean to have a cross-cultural ministry? And what was going through Paul and Barnabas's mind as they're moving away from Jerusalem and moving away from Antioch to do what God had called them to do? We'll look at that next week. And then there's this third theme that we want to look at the leading of the Spirit and how God led Paul in his preaching and his decision-making as he's moving into uh, a foreign territory. But we'll do that as we go along. But by backdrop, remember in Acts eleven nineteen that there, after the, 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 the martyrdom of Stephen, there were those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed. They traveled as far as Phoenicia, the, the western side of Israel by the sea, Cyprus, the island we went to last week, and Antioch north, uh, they spread the word of God only among the Jews. But some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manaean, and Judea, they went to Antioch and they were going to speak to the Greeks, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. But it's in the city of Antioch that's known for this phrase that they were first called Christians in Antioch. Well, what does that mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be called a Christian? Christian, I used to think, <clears throat> I've heard explained, was called to be Christ-like. But that's not what it means, or to be a follower of Christ. Well, those are included for sure. But in Antioch, they were first called Christians. And there's an order to this. As you look at the passage, it says that they were growing and the word of God was spreading so much so that Barnabas had to go get Paul from, from Tarsus and bring him over. And when they came and they taught, with, along with the team in Antioch, they were taught for one year. And it says after a year of instruction, they were taught, and then they were discipled, and then they were called Christians. Now the word Christian has a special meaning, because it means the I-A-N-S has the Greek counterpart of A-V-O-S, and it means belonging to or being part of. 
Therefore, it's a nationality marker. It's a marker for relationships. It's a relational marker. And you see this word used with the Arabians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Sumerians, the Persians, the Cilicians, the Mesopotamians. Even here today, among the Russians, the Canadians, the Colombians, the Nigerians, I-A-N-S means a nationality, much like the A-E-A-N as the Aramaeans, the Chaldeans, the European, the Mediterraneans. Even in, in the book of, uh, even in the math department, when you have the Pythagorean, that which belongs to Pythagoras or the Euclidean. It, it means to belong to a certain set, a certain group. And we would even use it with careers like magician or a comedian or electrician or librarian, uh, physician or thespian. The I-A-N means you belong. But notice that, that in Antioch, the Christian understanding that they belonged to Christ, they were called Christians after they were instructed and after the discipleship had taken hold that they really understood that they had become the people of God. Today, we have just reversed that where we call everybody Christian, but they don't have any instruction or they have very little discipleship. And so many people would have a, a faith and a belief and even, even a Christian veneer, but they don't really know that they what it means to be uh, a Christian or to belong to Christ. But in Antioch, Barnabas and Saul, they spent a long time. And so in Colossians 2, it summarizes a little bit of what they were teaching. It says, uh, as he was bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, Paul would say, so then just as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, uh, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and being built up in him, strengthened in the faith, as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Received Christ by faith. They continued to live their lives by commitment. They rooted, they were rooted and were being built up by growth and instruction. And they were strengthened in the faith by obedience. Paul and Barnabas and others taught them, and so they were learning, and they were overflowing with thankfulness uh, by sharing with others. The idea that missions and, and sharing your faith and sharing your story only comes as you get to know that what it means to belong to Christ. And that should really touch our hearts in such a deep way. You belong to Christ, Paul would say to the Corinthians. He would say to the Galatians. And even John would say that in John 4.4. 4, you belong to God. And that's the mystery that Paul and Barnabas and John Mark are taking out because the Gentiles can also belong to Christ without the Jewish trappings. This is the mystery, that, that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together as one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus, Ephesians 3, 6. And therefore, we get this great story where, where Barnabas and, and, and Paul are bringing along John Mark, who they got from Jerusalem, and they were commissioned in Antioch, and last week we saw they went to Cyprus. They crossed that island of 115 miles by foot, and they came to Paphos. And there in Paphos, they saw Sergius Paulus, 
who wanted to hear the Word of God, who was interested in, in, in hearing what Paul would say. And so they called him to teach, and, and Sergius Paulus became a Christian. Of course, Paul also dealt with that magician, Elimus, and, and, and John Mark was with him. And this is the first time that John Mark had begun to see that what they said they believed was actually coming to pass. And from there, after that time was over, they had to arrange for passage to go up north to Perga. Perga is 150, 175 miles north uh, across the waters. And there, uh, in a boat, it would either be a military boat or a cargo ship or something that John, Mark, Paul, and Barnabas would jump in and they would head north. Now, it's helpful for me just to understand this first missionary journey. This first leg, it helps to me helps me to remember that there are five Ps. And you'll see it on the graphic there. They leave Paphos and they go to Perga, which is in Pamphylia, which is near Pisidia, and the northern part is Phrygia. To the right is Galatia. And they're going to be moving into the eastern side, but they're getting into Turkey, into this area through Perga. And so that night on the ship, as the if it were a, a Roman ship that had the oars out in the water, uh, if it was a cargo ship with the sails blowing on a summer night, uh, it'd be a clear Mediterranean night. Things were calm except for John Mark's heart, because something was happening as he traveled those waves, rocking back and forth, thinking about what had just happened, maybe thinking about lots of things, but something disturbing was happening in John Mark. There were doubts and fears arising. And as they pulled into the bay, uh, they saw the Taurus Mountains of Turkey. Uh, And as they looked at that mountain range, it would be a rugged trek up the mountains of 3,500, 700 feet. Something was going on in John Mark, and that's why I called the sermon Doubts in the Boat and Fears in the Heart. They landed the ship, and they would have to walk seven miles north to the city of Perga because they they didn't build cities on the coast because of pirates would come in and attack the coastal cities. But seven miles away, ten miles away, they uh, John Mark carried the bags and, and books or, and things for Paul and Barnabas. But those final steps as they were going into Perga were along the way somewhere. John Mark said, I can't do it. Uh, I got to go home. What was going on as in John Mark's heart uh, was more than just uh, a doubt. There was a fear that something was, something was happening inside of him. The one quote there I have on the screen is, Doubt kills more dreams than failure ever will. And so I wanted to say that the Holy Spirit is using these things to train, not only that that John Mark would go through and learn that there's a place for him, but God prepares us to work in those places. But John Mark was going through things, and God was using these conditions to teach him and train him in his faith. You know the quote that a ship is safe in harbor, but that's not what ships are for. And as long as you stay in the harbor, you never have to get out into the ocean and struggle with the waves and the tension. And the, It's not comfortable 
to move out of your area, what you're familiar with. You also know the quote that birds of a feather flock together. And so it's easy if you're comfortable with the familiar, whatever group you're with, you'll understand that there's a commonality we share, a faith that we share, that we're never challenged unless we move out. And yet here is John Mark moving out. And that idea that we all belong to a group, and that group, um, that group, whether it's political, that we belong to a Democrat or Republican, we identify and associate with those that are just like us. Whether it's a sports, if you're NFL, NHL, or NBA, uh, whatever team you're on, you, you want to join that team and side with that team. But it's the same in the religious world. Whether you're Methodist or Lutheran or Catholic or Baptist, we are comfortable with people who are most like us. Well, here John Mark was moving out of his comfort zone, and he was moving into an area that he had never gone before. This is probably the furthest away from home he'd ever been. But as that boat pulled in to that shore that day, and they docked, they weren't the only boat, because there were other boats in that city of Perga, in that port, uh, because it was a, an international place of trade. And that's maybe one of the reasons why Paul went. But the question is, why, why Perga? Well, one of the reasons is that Perga was the home of a local goddess named Artemis. Certainly, uh, John Mark would see statues of Artemis, the goddess around the port and the city and all the way through. Uh, Artemis, known as Diana among the Romans, uh, was the local goddess of the wild animals of the hunt and vegetation, and of chastity and childbirth. And, and, and Artemis, like Diana, like Athena, like others, were women, they, they were goddesses. And there's something about the feminine side of the goddess that appealed to many pagan religions. And so you see there were statues everywhere about, uh, about these goddesses. And then the Romans would have them, the Greeks would have them, even for me, when I went to Japan, I would see the same thing even in the Far East. In Aizu Wakamatsu, looking out from my balcony, I could see the goddess, a Buddhist goddess, called the Goddess of Mercy in Aizu Wakamatsu. And she stood 18 stories tall, and she looked out among the valley, and people could see that goddess from all over. There's something about these statues that uh, of the women that we like to see the feminine side. And so in Poland, in Hong Kong, in the mo monastery in Hong Kong, there's another Buddha statue there. And you'll see that that statue uh, was constructed there. And you'll see a couple of slides there, hopefully. It's a man-made structure. It's a mammoth structure. Again, another 16, 18 stories tall. And, and you know these statues around the world. You, you may know about the famous Mamayev Kurgan in Vogelgard in Russia, that, that strong, powerful statue of a woman that represents the motherland of Russia. We have the same thing in the Statue of Liberty, which stands about 20 stories tall, I think. Well, the thing about all these statues is what the scriptures say in Psalm 115, verse 5 through 8. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. 
They have eyes but cannot see. They have ears and cannot hear. Noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel. They have feet but cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. And those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. Psalm 115, 5-8. The thing about all these statues is that they're silent. And they're statues. They're man-made. Unlike what we believe in Christianity, when Jesus said, when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Jesus uh, turned to Peter, and Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And of course, we don't believe that, that our God is a statue, and we certainly believe that he's not silent, but that he's a living God, moving and active, in whom we have our being, uh, Paul would say later on. But these statues were silent, and they were everywhere that John, Mark, and Barnabas went. And they would not only find statues that would be uh, representing the goddesses, but they'd also see statues representing nature or animals. Again, Moses warned us, when you look up to the sky and you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, and all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshiping things. And that's what we do sometimes when we find a, 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 an alien, a pagan religion, that they will find that nature is my religion and the earth is my temple. Well, something's happened when you think about these pagan religions, when you get into a foreign land uh, and you find these statues, what you, you find is a lot of times the experience alone of, of worshiping, of going to a temple, ringing a bell, uh, of trying to connect with nature, uh, there is a mode of experience that's right brain that appeals to this goddess worship. But any time as you look in the scriptures where there's a monotheistic, a revelation, a patriarchal, a father side versus a masculine side, what you find is the left brain mode of thinking comes into play, where there's, there's a, a, a sequential thinking, a logical thinking, but the idea is that there's revelation, and the revelation means that the God who is there speaks, and therefore this living God has authority over a local God who doesn't speak. I remember going to the Kairos ministry in Newcastle, and I met a man there who worshipped uh, with the Wiccans, uh, and his whole family had had a Wiccan heritage, and he said to me, Jerry, I've been a Wiccan for 44 years of my life, and I've prayed to these pagan gods, but they've never shown up. And therefore, you can get caught up with faith in faith, faith in natural things, faith in the experience, which is what a lot of these religions do, that they will offer a hope, but there's an empty and hollow hope. And therefore, again, Moses would say, therefore, watch yourselves very carefully that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol or an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman. And therefore, uh, be, be careful that you don't worship any animal on earth or like the bird that flies in the air or any other creature that moves along the ground or any fish in the waters below. In other words, as Romans would have us, uh, as Paul would say in Romans, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and they served the created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Or they would worship the, the works of their own hands and they would become like those. 
So here in Paphos, going to Perga, John Mark begins to see a different world where people think different. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Perga is a place, a turning point for John, uh, for John Mark. Mark. John Mark was instructed. He was discipled. He was established as a Christian. He knew he belonged to Christ, and he knew how to share Christ among the Jewish people. But perhaps John Mark wasn't instructed or trained and equipped for cross-cultural missions. Who is? It's a learn as you go, as you go and you make disciple among all nations. It is a learning process. But something happened in Perga. Something happened, and, and we don't know what took place in John Mark's mind that would lead him to return home. He just saw Sergius Paulus converted. He saw Paul take the leadership over Elamis, the magician. He saw a change in leadership from cousin Barnabas. And he was going to go back home and certainly live with his mom and tell the Jerusalem believers what Paul and Barnabas were doing. But why did John Mark leave? Well, Luke doesn't say. But it's probably the Holy Spirit probably protecting John Mark and his learning process. But I can't help but think that there's some reality that hit John Mark about outreach and acceptance of the Gentiles perhaps because of the cross-cultural disorientation caused his doubt. Cousin Barnabas had been upstaged. Differences in Paul's personality and leadership style. Maybe when he came to Cyprus, he saw that mountain rage and says, uh, it's, it's too much, because it would take him five days to climb that mountain, five to seven days to climb that mountain up to Antioch, Pisidia. Probably wasn't an issue of him being physical. He just didn't like being stretched that way. We don't know. But maybe it was because John Mark didn't think he was personally fit or belonged on the team to, maybe he was just inadequately prepared for the task. Maybe he didn't want to be a burden. Maybe he didn't want to be finding the fact that he had bit off more than he could chew. Maybe he just wasn't prepared. It was premature that he would join them out of emotion or whatever. Maybe he was homesick. Even so, he could have doubts about him leaving home. We just don't know. But either way, we know this, that John Mark was in two minds. He was in doubt and fear. Doubt is dubitare, in two minds. And James warns us, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask of God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. If you, if you have doubts, ask for wisdom. It will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not, and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Certainly John knew that on those waters, uh, moving from Paphos up to Perga. But here's a point that you've got to remember. That I don't know if John Mark did at this point. But those who struggle with doubt understand that doubt can take away from faith. But also understand that faith can take away from doubt. And certainly, you need to understand that Jesus Christ wants us to believe. That's the work of God. And he said to Thomas, don't be unbelieving, but be believing. 
ye of little faith. How many times did he say that? But understand that God wants to deepen our faith, strengthen our faith, understand our faith, so we would have a confident faith, just like Abraham and Moses and David and all those guys. Because it's not the size of your faith in your God that counts. It's the size of your God in your faith that matters. And John Mark would learn that eventually. John Mark, in AD 47, 48, left Perga, and he began to go back home, and he began to think about all that God was doing. And he would return later on with Barnabas, and Paul would later on say, yes, he's very useful to me. But in this time, he went back home. But later on, he would go back to Rome, and he would be working among the Romans and living among the Romans to help the Roman church there, the Roman believers. You see, Matthew wrote his gospel for the Jewish people in Jerusalem, in, in Israel. Mark wrote his gospel of Mark to the believers in Rome. Luke wrote his gospel to Theophilus and to the Gentile world. And John wrote his gospel for the nations, for the church, and the whole world. And that, therefore, you understand that this message for the nations is to give them a faith that they can belong to Christ. And that belonging to Christ, they don't have to be worried about going out and making disciples among the nations, wherever they go. But the ship is not safe in the harbor. But sometimes we don't want to leave the harbor to go tell people about Christ. And therefore, we never grow in faith. Well, here's some lessons from John Mark. God is at work calling the Gentiles to Jesus Christ. John Mark saw that. But he also saw that cross-cultural communication is not easy, not natural. Therefore, he would need some more instruction. John Mark would learn that courage and commitment are needed in uncertainty when God is taking you way beyond your comfort zone. Teamwork requires trust to appreciate differences among your team and among cultures. But John Mark would also learn that failure is never final in God's kingdom because God knows how to deal with fear. God knows how to deal with faith, uh, with doubt, and bring about faith. From Paul, there'd be another sermon, but you would hear from Paul things like, well, God has to prepare us to handle conflict externally in the culture and internally among the team. Paul would say, no matter what we go through, we need to be faithful, faithful, full of faith to our calling. And Paul certainly was. Paul would say we need to stay focused on the mission, whether others do or don't. That's a mark of mature faith. But Paul would also learn, and learn later on, that he needed to learn to love and to give grace when people disagree, when people would doubt. And he did that with Timothy. He did that with Silas. He would take men and train them so he knew how to help people grow. Likewise with Barnabas. Lessons from Barnabas would be, you need just to trust God and encourage people to grow in faith. Barnabas would also show that faith would lead to humility and letting somebody else take the lead. Barnabas, looking at his cousin John Mark, walking away, certainly was disappointed and certainly would be praying for him in those relationships that would continue. And last, all of them would know 
that the Holy Spirit was in control. Faith gives you that assurance of things hoped for. Well, so let me ask you some questions. If God sent you to a different culture or sent you down the street to some neighbor, but on your boat ride, wherever he's leading you, would your boat ride be one of confidence or one of uncertainty and questioning? And by the way, what do you do? What do you do with your inner doubts and fears? Do you ask God for wisdom? Do you take them and get instruction? Would you like your understanding of Christianity Christianity to be clearer and stronger? And is your doubt based on your experience and your feelings as opposed to the authority of the Word of God? And what would help you have more confidence as you share Christ with those who think and believe differently? And do you know how to invite an an unbeliever to know and trust the living God for forgiveness forgiveness of sins and new life in Christ? Well, the Gentiles belong to Christ. The mystery is that through the gospel, they can share together with Israel, members of the one body and sharers in the promise of Christ Jesus. Why? Because we all belong to Christ if we have faith in the living Son of the living God. We'll continue next week. And as we go into that, we'll look at that cross-cultural call and we'll look at the, uh, may get to Paul's first sermon and we'll get some training there. Until then, you have a good week. Keep reading, abide, and God bless in Jesus' name. Bye-bye.